We're going to go to the Ecclesiastes. So, new series, new year, new series. Um, I'm a little excited about a new series, but I'm also a little uh, like in fear and trepidation because uh, it's an interesting book. It's one of those books in our Bibles that um, doesn't get preached on a lot. As I was studying a little bit more, and the only other one that's not preached uh, probably less than Ecclesiastes is Song of Solomon. And so those two books, uh, even though they have the same author, Solomon's the author, they are not preached on very often. I was kind of surprised a little bit, but then I'm like, as I was looking back through the years, I'm like, you know, I've taught to the book and I've preached sermons in it, but I've never taught all 12 chapters. I've never gone from, from the beginning all the way to the end. And so hopefully, prayerfully, if God allows, we'll go through that journey together as we work through it. Ecclesiastes, as a, the title of it, um, has a couple different meanings, but the, the one most accepted is teacher of assembly. Teacher of assembly. So um, it's kind of a cross translation between the, the Hebrew and the Greek of it. And so that's why I, I kind of, it's a combination word. And uh, that's where we get the title Ecclesiastes and we translate it to English. So it's an interesting book. And uh, certainly if you think of Solomon, he was certainly an interesting character, right? He's the, the author and that's uh, generally recognized that he's the author of the book. And the time of life that he wrote it was near the end. Many believe that he wrote Song of Solomon, younger years, Proverbs in the middle sometime, in a, a gathering, and then and it, he asked he's near the end of his life. And so it's a reflective book, and it has a lot of that in it, but it also has a lot of the struggle, right? The struggle when we look at things, Sometimes we don't always understand them. And you said, wait a minute, you're talking about Solomon, right? Solomon's the wisest man, right? God gave him the gift of wisdom, and he certainly was very wise. But as if you look at his life, wisdom does not always equal how that is lived out. The running joke is Solomon had many wives, and what man would want many wives? You know. Some of you got that. Some of you are, are smiling. Some of you are keeping your head down so your wife doesn't hit you, right? And but in his practice, Solomon did not put all that he knew into practice. And I think that was part of the, the struggle. And it ends up actually becoming part of his downfall. And in fact, it's, uh, he suffers greatly when you look back through history. Everyone that gets mentioned, the kings, goes back to King David, now, King David was not perfect by any means, right? We know the, the pitfalls that David fell into, but yet all the, the kings and the reigns goes back to his father, Solomon's father, David, not Solomon. Yet Solomon had a great reign. I mean, from an outside perspective, it was peace. There was no wars. Things were calm. Israel was doing very well. He ran the country well during a very significant time of peace, and for quite a long time. Yet, that's not what's remembered. David is the, the marker. David is the best, even though he falls in comparison, obviously, to Jesus. As all kings do, they fail in comparison. But Solomon's barely mentioned quite often when they look back through time at his reign. In fact, 
Sadly, Solomon's sons are a train wreck. Pure and simple. His sons are responsible for dividing the kingdom and splitting and taking both of them into idolatry, into false worship. I mean, spiritually speaking, it goes off the cliff pretty fast after Solomon. And Solomon was starting the slide, obviously. So then we have this book, we have this letter, and it's a struggle with a man with looking at the world. And I got to say, we have to keep bear in mind when we go through this, and in today's language, I would say humanistic, because that's really speaking, right? Humanistically speaking, because that's really how this is written. Without God, here's how things look, right? We have the benefit of many years past this and living where we do and post-Christ, Holy Spirit. We have a lot more tools in our toolbox than even Solomon did. Even though he was the wisest, we have the look back through the the lens of history. And so you're going to hear me say that over and over again, humanistically speaking, because it's important as you look at the context of this. Otherwise, this is a hopeless book. This is really, what preacher would want to preach on this? to be honest. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of nuggets in here. The more I'm studying, the more I'm digging up nuggets of of truth and insight that I hadn't seen in many years. And so I'm actually excited that part of it. So hopefully we can journey along as we go through this. So that's a little bit of the background. This will get you started. Um, Again, as we go through the weeks, uh, at least 12 weeks probably, hopefully not more, we'll look at this a little bit deeper and maybe a little bit more background. But chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Again, Solomon. It's, it's very little is debated about it. If anything, maybe chapter 12, they say, may have been written by someone else. But by and large, Solomon is credited as the author. And It's really not highly disputed. And again, verse 1 pretty much lays that out. There's not a whole lot of other people it could be. But again, sometimes scholars have fun arguing those things out and making their point. And I say that's great as long as they're digging deeper into Scripture and not taking away from it. So, verse 2. One of the, the phrases you'll see often, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Solomon, in his writing here, uses this 38 times, more than anywhere else in the, all of Scripture, but the word meaningless or worthless or folly, there's different translations, use different words, but meaningless. And again, I'm going to say to you, humanistically speaking, if we look at what goes around in our world, a lot of it is meaningless, Right? Things that we do, there are a lot of things that we do that don't seem to have meaning, right? Temporarily might have a benefit. You mom sweeping the floor this time of year, how's that working out, right? Does it seem meaningless? Kids go out and come back in and the floor's dirty again, right? PJ would say it's not only the kids. I bear some of that as well. But aren't there tasks that we do? 
cleaning the church every week. We have to do it every week. It, it gets dirty every week. We can't do a, a one and done, and, and that's the end of it, right? I'm not saying you guys are messy, but there is some mess, right, from week to week. Shoveling snow, right? Bryce shoveled yesterday morning. I shoveled before I left, and I think someone else had to shovel this morning, right? Now, come June, it won't be there, hopefully, right? But right now, it can seem kind of meaningless, right? And, and we'll have to do it again, I'm pretty sure, before, between now and June. So. so there are a lot of things in life that seem meaningless. The way people act, the things that we do, the things that are done around us. They don't seem to have meaning. They, they're just repetitive. And so that's part of the thought here, right? And again... Humanistically speaking, it's true. Verse 3, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Again, repetitive, right? That hard work day after day after day, and then there doesn't seem to be any benefit, right? I think here about toiling under the sun, right? This is a, still an agricultural society at this time, and you had to raise your food, and you had to work for it, and um, pulling weeds or picking rocks, if you're from the, the east, picking rocks is one of those springtime favorite things that we used to do. It also used to be a punishment for our boys. We would hand them a five-gallon bucket and say, here, go fill this up and hopefully work out some of the steam. And unless they could pay Rachel to do it, they picked rocks, Right? I never had to worry about running out of rocks because every year the frost would bring up more rocks, right? And no matter how hard they picked, they would never get all of the rocks. Same thing with weeds. They seem to crop up no matter how much we pull and how much we spray and do things. Weeds are there. And so it's that same mindset, right? And even our jobs today, really, most of our jobs can seem meaningless, right? Got to watch Kim working today, this week, this past week. PJ was over to the, the hospital for a procedure, and everything went well. But Kim was working with a person, and when I went, she had another person. And when I came back, she said, Kim, there's no end to They just kept going and going and going. And uh, I'm pretty sure, Kim, there's no end to your job, right, until you go home, right? There's always the next person trying to check in for the next procedure or the next visit. A lot of our jobs are that way, right? We work day in and day out, and we get a paycheck, and then we take that paycheck and we spend it, and then we have to go back to work again. It can seem very meaningless, and sometimes we ask that question, why? Why am I doing this, right? And so this is Solomon here, and he's kind of reflecting, and he's, he's bringing this to, to a, a forefront here, and He takes it a little bit broader here, and he goes from generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever, right? Certainly, if the Lord tarries, and again, humanistic speaking, we've seen generation after generation, right? We can look back. Many love to look back and say, oh, the good old days, but um, I'm not sure they were that good, and the next one may be better, but I don't know. But humanistically speaking, right, they... We've gone through many generations since the beginning. Over and over and over again, they come and they go, 
We're born, we live, we die. How's that for an encouragement this morning, right? You are all eventually going to die. Maybe this is why this isn't preached so much. No, But it's true, right? Humanistically speaking, again, we're talking all this without God. We're talking all this without saving faith and Holy Spirit. And, but when we look at it from that perspective, people come, people go. That's the reality. That's true. But yet, the earth remains. It goes on, right? The, the earth hasn't changed. It's still here. It's still the foundation. It's still where we live. Right? That's a constant. This is the sun's perspective. That's, that's still here. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises again. Right? Uh, at least when I was growing up, it always rose in the east and set in the west. And as far as I know, it's continuing to do that. Though direction-wise, I may be off on that. Right? But the sun will rise tomorrow, and it will set tonight, right? It's a continuation, and then, again, it just keeps going. In fact, it goes so regular that we set our clocks by it, and that's how we measure time and day, right? Day in and day out by that constant. Now, when this was written, until today, it's continued on. So it's one of those things that it does, but... What's the meaning for it? What's the purpose? Verse 6, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Again, year after year after year, we have wind, right? And I've often kind of figured that, wondered that out because, you know, sometimes it's windy, sometimes it's not, and there's currents if you study a little bit. And again, wind we can't see, we can only see the effects of it. Right now, you get some snow, and especially this light, fluffy stuff, as it blows, you can see it. We know there's a wind, but really, if it's just blowing nothing, or just air, we can't really see it. But it's a continuum. And wind then, we'll have wind, we'll have wind maybe throughout this week at some point. It blows. Verse 7, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Kind of an amazing thing. And again, if you look at it from a perspective of, from God's part of creation, this changes how we look at this greatly. Right? Scientists try to figure it out, and yeah, there's an evaporation process, and it travels, and then it comes back, and it flows, and we have water underground. But it is amazing how God created that. No matter how much water, really, even that we use and gets used and misplaced or changed, at the end of the day, it's all the same here. It doesn't, the amount is still available. Now, I know there's places that don't have clean drinking water. That's a different type. But the amount of volume of water is still the same. Right now, ours is in the form of snow or ice. And some of you that like to ice fish wish that it would be a little bit harder and it would freeze a little bit quicker and change the form, but the amount is still there. And we have dry years and we have wet years, but at the end, over a long period of time, it remains the same. You can almost see the, where he's going here, using nature, like those things could seem meaningless, right? No matter what I do, 
they're there. They're still the constant. They're the same. And it just goes back again. After saying that, verse 80 says, All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Now he brings it back down to us, right? As people, right? Right? We, we see one sunset, right? We can't wait to see another one. Think of a vacation you've been on, right? You, you went to someplace special, right? Maybe you went to the great state of Maine, where all good things come from, right? <laughs> I know, shameless. Or you've been out and seen a beautiful sunset, right? You see it. You can even sit there for a while and capture it in, but it's just a memory now, and you long to see something like that again or something better, right? There's that thirst within us, and something that we see on a constant basis, sometimes we take for granted, right? It becomes meaningless. That's my joke about snow. I've seen snow. I grew up with snow. I know what it is. I don't need to see any more of it. But I live in a place where, guess what? God sees fit to give us snow. And it does have a beauty to it. The same thing with our ears, right? We hear something, something good, something, a, a good song. Think of our musicians all the time, right? If, if the songs were perfect, the, the, the one song that we had that we really love at the moment, right? But if we listen to it over and over and over again, I don't know about you, but after a while, I'm just like, man, I can't stand that song now, right? I'm looking for the next song. Radio stations know that. That's why certain artists, that's why they continually come out with new songs. It's the same thing, though, right? These things are never satisfied. They continue on and on and on, searching for the next new thing. Verse 9, what will be, will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. This is one of those verses that actually gets quoted quite often. This is one that you may have not realized where it was in the Bible, but nothing new under the sun. Solomon's going to say that a, a couple of times because, again, humanistically speaking, and really, for the most part, there is nothing new under the sun, right? It's been done, or the, the good or bad, the root of it can be the same, right? It's not new. Man likes to think that he's come up with something new, and you hear that often, right? It's a, I've got a new idea. Usually a new idea is not a new idea. It's maybe from someone older or someone else, and they've taken a part of it, or the new idea is so far out that it's not really a good idea anyways. Some of you got that one. That's good, right? But there is nothing new under the sun. At the core, it's the same. Some of you may be saying this morning, Charlie, are you ever going to get to the good part? You have to wait out a while. It takes a while to get to there. So patience, right? We'll need some patience as we work through this. Is there anything of, any, of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those who yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. 
This is downright depressing. I mean, right? I mean, how many of you don't like to be remembered? Right? Yeah, right? You don't like to be forgotten, right? You, you like to think that you have an impact or you, you have a, a, a part of a, a legacy that goes on and, and you want to be remembered, right? Or if you do something well, you want to be remembered for something, right? I've done enough funerals, that's always the, the key. And, and again, you want to remember that person. And we do, to a degree. But there's also truth in as time goes on, we remember less of them, or they, it doesn't come to our mind as often. And that's only one generation. You start going out multiple generations. I have an uncle that's really great at genealogy and Ancestry.com, and he loves all that history. But by and large, I don't think about my older relatives, my great-great-great-great-grandfather too often, right? I never met him. He's in my line, and he has importance, but I don't think about him. I don't remember him because I never met him. And so it's kind of the same thought here. Generations come, generations go. Don't get too depressed that, you know, thinking that no one will remember you if you go, right? That's not necessarily so. You are missed when you're not here. But in general speaking, humanistically, they come and they go. All right, change of pace. Verse 12. I, this is Solomon speaking, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Again, smartest guy, right? He was gifted with wisdom, but he also had the desire to gain more wisdom. And so he studied and studied and, again, worked at being wise. Solomon often also profited. If you look at his life, he profited from his wisdom, right? He was so wise that other decisions and other nations would come to him and ask him to rule on decisions or to get advice, and they would often pay him, pay him out of respect, pay him for his knowledge. Not much different. We do that in many professions today. We pay for someone's advice or someone's knowledge. Some has a skill set that we don't have. And so Solomon was no different. He made money off of that, but he was really good at it. Again, God gifted him that. And here Solomon recognizes, though, with that came responsibility. Right? Having all that wisdom was a burden. Right? It was not easy on Solomon, but it's not also easy on Mankind in general, right? Sometimes when we know something, and we'll often hear it, oh, I know that now, now I'm responsible for it because I've read it or I understand it. If you disciple someone, you, you know exactly what I mean, right? They, they get to that point and they're like, oh, shoot, I never knew that before. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that or to do this, and now there's a responsibility, right? There's accountability for what I know. I think that's what Solomon had in mind here. So wisdom has a price. Wisdom has responsibility, especially under God's economy. Solomon goes back to reflecting. He says, I've seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless 
a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Verse 16, he says, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Now, again, if you stop right there, right? I said he's been very wise and he's been good with that wisdom he's been given. He's made a living off of it, but he's also helped many people with that wisdom. Yet at the end, by most accounts, his reign as king was not very good. He had a lot of shortcomings. He led Israel really further away from God instead of closer to God. And we also see the struggle here. And he's, he's at that point now where he's looking back at his life and saying, I've missed the boat, right? It's meaningless. It's not worked out the way that I've wanted it to work out. Verse 17. When I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. An interesting statement here, and it's kind of stuck in the middle of his going back and forth, but it's actually part of the, the, the helpful understanding the passage and understanding actually the whole book is this verse 17, right? He says, when I applied myself to understanding, right? It wasn't enough just to, to have the knowledge and to, 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 to gain it, but then I had to apply to understanding it, right? What's, uh, what's behind it, right? Why is this smart? Why is this wise? Why? Well, all the why questions, that digging deeper. And he says, I, I did that, and yet it seems like madness. It's folly. It doesn't make sense. Have you ever studied something out and it, at the end you're still no further ahead, you still don't understand it? Yeah, yeah, many times, right? It's kind of what Solomon is saying here, right? I studied and I've applied and I've tried to do the best I can, and guess what? I still don't understand it. On a side note, I kind of think God does that to us to, to keep us hungry a little bit and to keep us searching a little bit because he knows that we would get lazy and say, ah, I'm all set. I got everything. I figured it out. Quite often when I'm talking with people about scriptures and we're, we're looking at passages, I love the, the back and forth to a degree, and, but there's some things that I just can't explain, right? I can say it. I don't know, right? And as I read other scholars and other commentators, for the most part, they don't know either. And guess what? It's okay. It's okay to be at that point. In fact, sometimes I think it's better to be at that point of not knowing and trusting God. Side note, bonus point. It's not in there at all, but you got that one for free. And last speaking, we close out chapter one. And, and again, humanistically speaking, all of this morning has been in reference that Solomon is, is talking this void of God. Because again, things are much different. 18 says, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. He's going to repeat this later on in chapter 12. It's kind of the, the opening, and then he's going to circle back to it in, in the end of chapter 12. And so you, it's kind of, you'll hear this again. 
But Solomon's almost at this point where he's regretting the fact that he's been given all this wisdom. Right? Knowing what he knows has been burdensome. It's been hard. It's not been easy. And he's sorry in many ways that he even has it. So, this morning, the great thing is we do not have to toil like the world does, right? We do not have to be thinking humanistically, right? It's not all meaningless, right? You've heard me say that many times, right? It matters what we do as believers. The New Testament's full of it. Paul's writings are full of it matters what we do. It does matter our labor. It does matter each generation. PJ, you mentioned this morning, it matters our kids matter and our grandkids matter, right? You add Christ to this equation and put God into this, things matter a lot. It's not the same old, same old. It's not just folly. It's not meaningless. It has great meaning. In fact, Solomon couldn't see that from where he was, his perspective. He knew God, right? But he's operating in a totally different time, totally different space, right? No savior yet. There's no Holy Spirit yet. There's none of those things that he him at his availability. He's not there yet. And so we have the great hope as believers today that things are not meaningless. Things are not worthless, and it's not folly what we do. And so with that in mind, we do have meaning. We do have purpose. The key is asking God for what that purpose is. Bow with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we have opened your word, Lord, and Lord, we know that your word is not meaningless by any means. We are so thankful for that and the gift that we have that we can look back and we can see how you've been there all along and that you bring meaning to everything, that you bring meaning to our lives. And Lord, that it's not folly, but it is of great value. And Lord, as we have looked at this today, Lord, help us as we dive into 2024, Lord, that we find our purpose, what it is that you want us to do, each and every one of us and collectively as a church body. Help us in this, Lord. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Part of that thankfulness, especially this morning, and recognizing where we are is communion this morning. And so hopefully someone went out to, to get the kids, and they'll be coming in a minute, the, the older children. But also I need my few men that I've asked to come and help serve this morning, if you'll come. Because we have visitors with us and just want you to know that our communion table is an open communion table. It's not a members only, it's not a, a point way only. If you are a believer in Christ, you are welcome at this table. We do communion openly here at Pointway. 
But with that being said, we also take it very seriously. And so we heed the warning that Scripture gives to us, and we do that as a church body together. Scripture tells us, it says, whoever eats of the bread or drinks from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says, everyone should examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so what we like to do here is right where you're at, just bow your head just between you and the Lord. Just take that moment to recognize what we're doing and the importance and what this represents. So let's take that time. I'm going to ask Jim Wheatley if he'll give thanks for the bread and the cup and what that represents.
taking the bread first, says, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It was honestly in the same way after supper, he took the cup. He said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and close us in song. And one of the other things we like to do here at Point Way is use this as a reminder. And as you can see, there's some empty seats next to you, and there were some extra cups and, and, and bread that was left over. And use that as a reminder this week that there are many out there in our world and in our workplaces and school that do not know you. And so it's a good reminder for us that we need to share that with those who do not know yet. So use that as an encouragement this week as well.